Like, that is amazing. That's the, the best story in the world right there that we just sang about. Go ahead and grab a seat. It's wonderful to be with you today. My name's Mike, one of the pastors on the team. We're starting a new series called Tell Me a Story. And uh, for those of you who are parents, you know this is just part of the deal. Your kid's like, hey, Daddy, tell me a story. Well, buddy, I'll tell you a story about the world's greatest superheroes, Cam Chancellor, <laughs> Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas. These men are so Herculean in their talents, so mountainous in their strength. They have their own weather system. Yeah. Able to leap offensive lines in a single bound again and again. Nah. <laughs> are there any Seahawks fans in the house today? I do want you to know we have a 920 service next week. Uh, so if any of you have you know, this, this, uh, this conflict between Jesus and Russell Wilson. Um, come at 9.20 and then enjoy the game at, at noon. You'll be okay. Um, if you want to grab your notes out of your handout, we, we want to talk about this idea of story, and we, we actually want to issue a challenge over Lake. So over this series and over the next month that we, that we journey together in this, I'm, we're going to challenge you and we're going to challenge you to think about your story, to think about the story that God is telling, to, to recognize how God is sweeping you into his story and, and how he's invaded your story, uh, writing in plot lines that you may or may not be excited about, but they're plot lines that are for your best and for his glory. And you might be here, and, and you might disagree. No, 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 Pastor, I, I, that's not true of me. I, in fact, I don't even know if I believe in God. You know, you, you might say, I, I'm here because of my parents, or I'm here because of my boyfriend, or I'm here because of blackmail. Uh, we know that there are many who, who come under duress, and, and I was there at one season of my life. But if that's you, and you're just kind of unsure about this whole God thing, or where you land on your beliefs or your convictions, I do want to tell you this, that whether you have eyes to see it or not, you are living a story. And you're living a story on the one hand that is shallow and mundane and entertainment-based, and on the other hand, it is deep and mysterious and significant. And God is inviting you to see, to have eyes to see how near and how present and how amazing your story is. And over like that's the invitation that he's issuing to all of us, right? So we're going to focus on our story and what it looks like to own our story, to know it, and to share our story, but also to be actively drawing story out of other people. And so we want to be aware of the opportunities that God is giving us to recognize his redemptive hand right in the middle of our story. And I begin just with gratitude. So the verse that begins on your notes, Psalm 107, we'll spend a lot of time in Psalm 107 today. Psalm 107, verse 1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. So we start with gratitude, right? We sang about it, we worship the Lord, we begin with gratitude because his love is steadfast. His love is enduring and through all the moments of our lives and through the, all the moments of our story, God's goodness, God's faithfulness, and God's love has been present. So we just begin with that kind of, that overarching umbrella statement that we want to begin with gratitude for God's love. 
Now, by way of introduction to the whole series, I would begin with just a few words about why story is important, why your story is important, why even the, the narrative form of story, why is that important? And if you're filling in the blanks, the first one is because story is memorable. Really simply, story is memorable. We remember story and it, we retain the power of story far longer than we remember facts or tables or pie charts or statistics. It's story that gets under our skin, as it were, that, that we carry with us in terms of our memory. Now, Jesus knew this. Jesus, by any accounts, even unbelievers, he was, he was the, the most powerful communicator ever. He was the greatest teacher we've ever seen. And one of the methods that he used was storytelling. I want you to look at this verse from Matthew 13. It says, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. Do you know what a parable is? It's a story. In fact, if you want the definition of parable, it's an earthly story with a spiritual meaning. That's what a parable is. So Jesus told these stories. He painted these visual pictures, if you will, that were able to communicate some profound spiritual truth. Now understand that Jesus was teaching at a time he had no sound system. He had no you know, PowerPoint, no visual support. So what did he use? What was the method that he always used? Storytelling. And because he used storytelling, the truths that he was communicating got under the skin of the listeners, and they would ponder it for a day, a week, a month, years. Now, millennia later, we are still wrestling with the stories that Jesus told. Why? Because story is memorable. The next fill-in on your outline, again, the power of story here, that why it's valuable, because you are the authority on your story. You are the absolute final authority on your story. You need to recognize that maybe, you know, you kind of, you're in life and you're, you're going through life and you realize, man, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm good at a lot of things, but I'm not an expert in any one thing. I would argue you're an expert in your story. You know your story like nobody else. Even as you're presenting your story, right, if you're authentic and sincere and, and you're intelligently processing your story, nobody can argue with it, right? This happened to me. This is what I struggled with. This is what I, I know God's teaching me. He's growing me through this. Nobody's going to say, no, he's not. That's not your story. You didn't learn that. You know, like, no, no it's my story, you know, that, yeah, because why? You're the authority, Okay. And telling our story, by the way, helps us understand more deeply how close God really is, how he is with us, and more importantly, how we are growing and developing through the twists and turns in our story. All this happens, right? We, we gain authority in our story when we process it, when we know it and own it. And then this third truth here, sharing our story brings wholeness, that that actually the process of knowing your story and sharing your story with, with someone else actually is a process of healing. And for those who have, who have done biblical counseling, you know the power of this. Uh, for those who are in authentic 
transparent relationships in Celebrate Recovery say, uh, you understand the power of sharing your story and how, how much healing is available there. But I, I was reading this week of a very interesting study that's been done, Dr. Karen Purvis, and she was interested in how come today's soldiers, today's veterans, when they come home from the front lines, why the levels of post-traumatic stress disorder are so high, why the levels of suicide are so high among our veterans. How come so many of our soldiers bring war home with them? And so she, she did this study. She went back. She began to analyze how it is that soldiers return home in America. Well, today, it's pretty simple. Front lines, let's say you're on the front line in Afghanistan. You get on a plane. You take a plane. You maybe make a transition, you know, a transfer in, in London or somewhere like that. And then you're home. 36 hours later, you've had your earbuds in the entire time. You've talked to nobody. You've just, all you've done is transfer your body, your location has changed, but nothing else. But she goes back 60 years and she talks about how the, the veterans came home from, from war in World War II. And how they would, in the front lines, they'd have to get on uh, in, in the back of a, of a covered truck with about 20 of their comrades. And they'd, they'd be on that truck for many hours, maybe even days, until they got to the, the appropriate train depot. And then they'd all jump on the same train. And so there'd be a whole train filled with soldiers returning from the front. And they'd be on that train together until it hit the seaport. And then they'd all get off the train and get onto the ship where it would be an entire ship filled with people returning from the front. And they had nothing to do and they had nothing to listen to and nothing to kind of to distract themselves, just their friends and their fellow soldiers. And so what they would do is they'd stay up late playing cards around tables and they'd be sharing their stories. This is where I was. This is the fighting I saw. Here's where the shelling was the worst. They'd spend time eulogizing their fallen friends. By the time they got home and the weeks that had ensued from the time they left the front to the time they reached their door in, in middle America, say, there has been all of this process of story so that even in that greatest generation, even if there was a, a somewhat of a silence that fostered after that, maybe, maybe that soldier never shared his story again, but he's already spent weeks normalizing his experience. He's already spent these weeks recognizing that he had this profound story and so did his friend and so did his, his, his fellow soldier and, and they had somehow had this mutual healing take place that they were able to carry with them. See, I want you to understand that sharing your story is a way that God wants to bring wholeness to you, right? And, and I would even say this, by sharing your story, it actually helps to make your story more true. Now understand this. I'm not talking about the facts. I'm not talking about you changing the facts of your story to fit some kind of a narrative. I, I'm talking about you seeing the events of your life, emotionally connecting with what you were thinking and feeling and what God was doing in the midst of that. That brings it true in a deeper, richer, more emotionally connective, in fact, I would say in a more authentic way. Now your story is true authentically to you. And this is what God wants to do. And here's a quote from Jeff Goins. He says, whether we realize it or not, we are all storytellers. 
With the lives we're living and the risk we are or aren't taking, we're crafting a narrative for eternity. For those who would dare to live differently, the road before us is not the path of least resistance. It's scary and costly, full of unexpected twists and turns. But on this jagged journey, we find the one thing we're searching for, meaning. Meaning. So in other words, it becomes more true as we begin to mine the stories of our lives and see God's redemptive hand. So the recognition is that God is telling a redemptive story. For those of you who are familiar with the pages of Scripture, you know that from start to finish, the entire thing is one huge redemptive story that God is writing. And he's writing this story throughout not only the pages of Scripture, but the pages of history. And not only the pages of history, but the pages of our histories. God is writing a redemptive story. And in light of this, I would suggest to you something. This is something that God has been really stirring me on lately. I used to be a very black and white thinker in the sense of I could understand when an event happened to me, that was a good event or that was a bad event. That was a blessing from God or that wasn't a blessing from God. But I want to suggest to you that I think we rarely understand what's going on as we're living the events of our life. That it's only in hindsight can we look back and see what it was that God was up to. Because I would suggest to you no event, no matter how difficult or tragic the event was at the time, no event is God absent in. That he can be present even in the darkest moments of our life, writing a redemptive story. Even with that, we wish never happened, but God is right there present with us. And I would also suggest that sometimes what we think of as blessings are really just distractions preventing us from seeing God's redemptive hand in our lives. So so I would just say I'm, I'm much less certain today as to what is good or bad, what is a blessing or not a blessing. I think God is in it all. And he wants us to have open eyes to see what it is that he's doing. And I want to tell you that The clearest example in all of God's redemptive history, in all the story of God's redemption, the clearest example of what I'm talking about is the cross of Calvary. Because it's on that cross that we see the darkest, most difficult, the most distressing and conflict, pain-inducing moment of history actually throws open the door to our redemption. That happens to be the way in which God provides atonement and salvation for the entire world. So this illuminates something that we want to forget. See, we don't want our stories to have conflict or trial or pain in them. We wish that the story that God writes with our lives wouldn't include any of those things. But I just want you to understand that that conflict or trial or pain, that doesn't derail your story. That makes your story awesome. See, take a look at this quote. It says, conflict isn't what ruins a story, far from it. Conflict is what makes a story great, right? And, you, and, you know, inherently, you know this to be true, right? For those of you who are like, you know, Middle Earth fans, you know it's not much of a book if Frodo just hangs out in the Shire forever, right? It's like, how many different, you know, pubs can he visit? You know, like, that's, it's not much of a story, and, and yet it's, that, it's this incredible conflict, right, that draws us in. 
I love to travel. I, I, I always have, and it's just been one of those things I, I really enjoy. And when I was in college, I had this opportunity to travel over four years. I was on the road for almost a year. And it was this incredible uh, time of just exploration, even kind of self-discovery. I was a spiritual journey at the time, too. And so when I speak with young people, I speak with college age or folks that are in that early 20s demographic, I always say, look, if you have desire and opportunity to travel right now in your life, you should. Because there are these other things that happen to you, things like marriage and family and mortgage. It makes traveling a lot more difficult, at least to the responsible among us, right? And so, um, but, but I just, I want you to know, I got all these travel stories. I wrote it in a book. It's called Miles to Cross. It has sold dozens of copies, impacted tens of lives. Uh, but I, I was... This year, I had a chance to go visit our ministry partners overseas, and my buddy Lee went with me. Lee is an Australian, and so he's traveled every year to my day. Like, he's just, they just travel. Those Aussies, they have no sense of responsibility. And um, <laughs> so one night, we just spent the entire night swapping travel stories. I would share one, he would share one, I would share one, he would share one. We stayed up late in the night talking, and let, let me just ask you. Do you think the best stories were the ones where we caught all of our train connections and we had halfway decent hotels to sleep in and we had plenty of money to pay for food? Like, are those the good stories? Or were the good stories the ones where we were, you know, absolutely down on our funds and so we were living on, you know, a hunk of bread and cheese and, and you know, got food poisoning at some place and that's a whole messy story on its own and... You know, we, we were hitchhiking because the trains weren't running, or hiking, rather, because it's hard to hitch. And, uh, you know, like, like those are the exciting stories. Those are the great stories. And so I'll tell anyone who's interested in travel, listen, the worst experiences are the best stories, Right? And so even as you're going through them, you can actually kind of in a moment go to the 30,000-foot level with a twinkle in your eye and go, I know this is going to be a great story, right? And it will be. And I just want to say this again, spiritually speaking, not a single disciple would have thought that the pain of the crucifixion was necessary for the story of redemption, but that's exactly what delivers the resurrection. Not a single follower of Jesus would have chosen the conflict of pain and betrayal and torture and death, but that's exactly the pathway to atonement and salvation. It is the darkest form of conflict that provides the brightest light of redemption. And that's what we're talking about. That, that's what we want to mine from our own lives, from our own journeys. I, I wanna focus, I wanna have you focus on the moments where you see the redemptive hand of God. And I would challenge you that the more you focus in on seeing the redemptive hand of God in your story, you'll realize that it's not just once or twice or three times, but the redemptive hand of God shows up again and again and again all throughout your story. So here's what the scripture says in Psalm 107. Again, we'll spend most of our time here. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. That's Psalm 107.2. Or in the New Living it says, has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out, tell others, he has redeemed you from your enemies, okay? 
So today, we're going to mine the gold from our story's past. So I just want you to take, take a, uh, just a pause on this moment right now, and I want you to cast your mind back across the scope of your story, and I want you to think about what is your story. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Well, what is that? See, often what we think of when we think of telling our story spiritually, we think of our testimony, which is the singular moment when we decided to bow the knee and to trust Jesus Christ. And that is a great story. So I do encourage you to focus on that moment and see what was in play in that moment and how God met you. That's a, that is a good story. But I also want you to recognize that there are these other moments in your story. In fact, what I want to challenge you, Overlake, is to think of your life as a series of episodes, episodes of God's redemptive hand at work in your life. And I want to awaken the ability within you to recognize a significant moment. Because you have so many significant moments in your life where Jesus is right there meeting you, comforting you, guiding you, providing for you, healing you, etc. And so this psalm, Psalm 107, it kind of goes through that. I want to challenge you to read the psalm this week on your own. But the psalmist invites us to look at our stories and to see God's redemption at work. So let's jump in. We'll start in verse 4. I want to read to you from the message paraphrase. It says, some of you wandered for years in the desert, looking but not finding a good place to live, half-starved and parched with thirst, staggering and stumbling on the brink of exhaustion. Then, in your desperate condition, you called out to God. He got you out in the nick of time. He put your feet on a wonderful road that took you straight to a good place to live. So thank God for his marvelous love, for his miracle mercy to the children he loves. He poured great droughts of water down parched throats. The starved and hungry got plenty to eat. So the psalmist is intent on telling stories of God's redemption of his people. And specifically what this passage refers to, if you take a look at it, he's saying, look, some of you were hungry and thirsting, and God provided. God provided food. God quenched your thirst. Then he says, some of you were homeless. You were wandering. You, you didn't have stability. You didn't have shelter. And God provided these things for you. Now you have a home. And then he says, some of you were exhausted. You were weary, bone weary. And God provided you rest. So over like, I want you to think across the story that you have lived thus far. Think about your own life for a moment. Home, shelter, food, clean water to drink, provision, rest in your weariness. How many of you, when you think back across the story of your life, do you see moments and seasons where God has provided these things for you? Just a show of hands. How many of you? Yeah, most of us. That's right. So if you're filling in the blanks, I want you to fill this in. Realize part of my story involves God's provision. Part of my story involves God providing for me in my need. And what the psalmist says is that's God's redemptive hand at work in your life. And what's the challenge at the front of the psalm? Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. For so many of us, that is our story. It's part of it, right? That God provides, that in a moment of need, God provided. 
I had a need for these things. God showed up. God took care of me. That is his redemption at work in my life. Okay, the challenge that we share that story. Let's keep reading. We'll go to verse 10. Some sat in darkness and deepest gloom, imprisoned in iron chains of misery. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He led them from the darkest and deepest gloom. He snapped their chains. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he has done for them. For he broke down their prison gates of bronze. He cut apart their bars of iron. Now, what's happening here? The psalmist is now telling stories of God's liberation, of God's freedom. And he's actually referring to prison, tangible prison, and to problems that Israel got into by its own choosing. And he's referring to being stuck in discouragement, in darkness and gloom. He's referring to these unproductive thought cycles that that we click into or unproductive behavior patterns that we embrace and that God saved people from their distress. He, He released people from those prisons. And then specifically, he's talking about being locked in bondage and that God broke down the prison gates. And so, again, I want you to think about your own story. Has there ever been a time where you were locked into a destructive thought pattern, a behavior cycle that you couldn't get out of? You knew you kept choosing prison again and again and again, and yet God met you, and he loved you in that moment, and and he helped pull you out of that place. Has has there ever been a time when you, you really didn't know how it was that you could proceed freely into the next season of life, and yet God met you there, and he helped put your feet on a good path that you were able to walk. How many of you, by show of hands, would say, that's a part of my story? Yeah. Yeah, it's a part of, it's a part of my story. It's part of so many of our stories. And so what is the challenge? You've been redeemed. That's the redemptive hand of God. What are we to do? Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. If you're filling in the blanks, it's understand that part of my story, part of my story involves God's freedom for me. Jesus has come into my life. He has brought his freedom. We'll keep going. Verse 17. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Now, the psalmist is telling stories of God's healing, of God's healing power, and of God's healing grace. And, and, and specifically, it's kind of an ironic, he, he mentions that they suffer physically because of choices that they made. So I was thinking this could be moral choices that, that were being made, like choices to commit adultery or choices for promiscuity, that kind of thing. But I think it's wider than that. I think, it's, I think he's referring to those who are suffering in their flesh, who are suffering physically with medical issues, uh, with pain or disease, and God brought healing to them. But then he also has this interesting phrase, they loathe food. And I was thinking, I wonder if that refers to those who have a difficult relationship with food. 
Because there are so many ways in which we don't know how to approach food. And we have this weird, uh, uh, this weird relationship with our own body image and, and how much food or how little food or, or, you know, there's all kinds of maladies around our relationship to food. But in any case, they cry out to the Lord, the passage says, and God meets them in that moment. He meets them in their distress and he heals them. So think about your own story for a moment. Go back. There ever been a time when you were ill, when you were sick? Could have even been a, a flu or measles or something like that. Maybe God healed you in that moment, naturally or supernaturally. Maybe there was medical intervention, maybe there wasn't. But has there ever been a time, right? Has there ever been a time when maybe you were in a place where your relationship with food, it just was tenuous. You didn't understand it, what was compelling you to do this or that. Is there, has there ever been a, ch- a time when even in your own choices you knew, you, you know, I'm here because I chose to be here? And in the midst of that unlovable moment, you prayed to God, and even though you didn't deserve it, you, just, you were flooded with God's love. How many of you have that as a part of your story? See, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. The fill-in is recognize that part of my story involves God's healing. It involves God's healing for me. And this is the powerful story that the redeemed of the Lord are to share. Because, friends, your story, it marks you and it molds you. It shapes you and it grows you. That's why we need to know our story. We need to be emotionally connected, even with the hard parts and the difficult parts, the the parts that are grief-filled, the parts that are trial-based. And we need to see how God was present even in those most difficult moments right there, that God met me right there and that his redemptive love was right there for me. I found this quote from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. It's just, I think it's just so amazing. It says, the most beautiful people we have known are those who have known defeat, known suffering, known struggle, known loss, and have found their way out of the depths. These persons have an appreciation, a sensitivity, and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, and a deep loving concern. Beautiful people do not just happen. They don't just happen. It's not an accident. But friends, it happens when we know our story. And when we're able to re-examine the moments of our lives and the seasons of our lives with a view to see God's redemptive hand at work, where he was present, how he was carrying us, how he was lifting us up through even the most difficult things that life has to offer. And the reason why I keep coming back to this, I, I know there are some pastors out there, I think they must be disconnected with their congregation that they don't understand where people are really living, like where the real struggle is, where the real difficulties are, where where the relational hurt is, where where the pain medically is, where where all kinds of broken, uh, say, plans and dreams are. Maybe pastors aren't connected to the congregation, so everything they preach is just rosy, rosy, la, la, happy, clappy kind of stuff. But I want you to know that over, like, I know you. I know there are so many beautiful people in our church family. People who have gone through the dark times really wrestle with incredible burden of grief. Just this week, I was with dear friends 
helping them bury their 13-year-old daughter who had died unexpectedly in a car accident. Just this week, a dear friend of mine heard news that he was long dreading, and now it's finally here. I'm one of the pastors who, I, I, I see the story that's being lived. And yet, even in the midst of those moments, what we want to do is have eyes to see that God is present and that he's writing his redemptive story even with these events. And look how the psalmist wraps this whole thing up. He says, good people see this. In other words, good people see your story, good people hear your story and are glad. Bad people are speechless, stopped in their tracks. If you're really wise, you'll think this over. It's time you appreciated God's deep love. You know, what's interesting to me about this verse is the response that, that he's drawing out. Good people. So it's an indication of where somebody's heart is. If, if, if a person's heart is good, it doesn't say religious people or holy people or Christian people. It just says good people. If your heart's good, then when they hear your story of God's redemptive hand at work, maybe in a good situation, a bad situation, whatever, you share authentically your story, a person whose heart is good is going to be encouraged. Thank you for sharing that. I needed to hear that today. It's amazing that you shared that with me today because what I'm going through right now, it lines up so perfectly with that. Somebody's heart's good. They're gonna resonate with that story of God's redemptive hand. But then it says, if somebody's heart is bad, what are they gonna do, argue, complain? They're gonna you know, just yell at you? No, they'll just be silent. It'll just be a seed that is planted. Again, why? Because nobody can argue with your story. But then I, I love how this whole thing wraps up. The last one says, the wise will think your story over. This is the mark of the wise, that the story will go in and they'll ruminate on it and, and they'll process it and they'll think about it again and again and again. And then this last line, it's time you appreciated God's deep love. Well, that's written to two different types of folks. The, the first, those who haven't appreciated God's love and maybe haven't realized that God is writing you into his redemptive story. But the second, it's also written to followers of Jesus who maybe we say we appreciate God's deep love, but just not enough to share it. And so maybe it's time that we appreciate God's deep love. What that means is we really appreciate it, and then tangibly, we are ready to share our story with others. Here's another psalm. I'll wrap with this, Psalm 73, 28. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. Would you underline that last phrase? I'll tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. So as we wrap this thing up, this month we're gonna focus on mining our story, knowing it and writing it and then sharing our story. And, and I, I wanna challenge you to look at your life and, and to view a couple of episodes, right? That, that you, would, you would look through your life, find a couple of episodes, and then you would mine the redemptive hand, the, the, the story of God's redemptive work in those episodes. And to do this, Overlake, we need to pray. 
And so I want to close with just some prayer that I believe will be very helpful as we begin to process this and what it means for us practically. And the first, you'll see it on your notes there, Lord, open my eyes to see your hand in my story. Open my eyes to see your hand. Some of you, in fact, I had great conversation in the hallway between services that some folks thought, you know, I, I had this event happen and I thought God was absent from it. But now, as I begin to ponder that event, I can see that was actually God getting my attention and, he, and this came out of it and this came out of it. And there's just this, this power if we have eyes to see. So that's our prayer. Lord, open my eyes to see your hand at work in my story. And you'll find it's not just once or twice, but it's again and again and again, right? God is with us. God is near. And then the the second part of this prayer, allow me to appreciate your deep love by being willing to share my story. And this is a prayer for courage. This is a prayer for bravery, But we trust that as we pray this and as we work on being willing to share our story, that God will be the one to provide the opportunities for it. So what I'd love to do is I'd love to have you bow your heads and close your eyes and and let's pray these things right now. Lord Jesus, we do want to ask that you would allow us the the sight. You would allow us the, the, the ability to see your hand at work in our story. I know that there are some here who are in the midst of a difficult part of the story right now. My prayer is that even now, they would be able to see where you are present, where you are providing, where you are bringing your freedom, and where you are bringing your healing. I pray this, Lord, that we would have the insight from your Holy Spirit to see how near, how present, and how powerfully you're at work in our lives. And the second part of this prayer, Lord, is is we wanna be willing to share the story of redemptive work in our lives. We wanna give you the glory and show that we are appreciative of your deep love in our lives. And so we ask for courage, we ask for bravery, we ask that, that we would be emotionally connected to our story, And then we ask that you would give opportunity for us to share. We love you, Jesus. We want to thank you for all of the ways that your love and your grace has invaded our story. We're so thankful that you are writing us into your redemption. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.